Welcome to the Women Empower podcast, where women entrepreneurs share their stories, struggles, and accomplishments. We are here to listen to women in all walks of life, from starting a business to running million-dollar companies, from personal to business, and everything in between. Let's get started. Here's your host, Brie Logue. Hey everyone, I'm your host Brie Logue and this is the Women in Power podcast. Today we have Dr. Ludie Green. She is one of the world's foremost experts on violence against women and economic empowerment for victims of abuse. Now this episode is going to be a little bit different than our normal episodes. I'm super excited to chat with Dr. Ludie today. Thank you so much, Brie, for having me. Awesome. So to start a little bit, tell us about you and what you're currently doing. Yes, I'm the executive producer of a podcast called Ending Domestic Abuse. Currently working on my second book. And uh, basically traveling around the world, speaking and presenting on violence against women, bringing best practices from the United States to other countries, as well as going to different colleges and universities and show the model of an organization that I created about 20 years ago called Second Chance Employment Services, was the first and only employment agency in the United States for domestic violence victims. Oh, wow. it's amazing. So tell us a little bit about how you started your company. What made you get into it? Well, basically everything started by me. I was working in Capitol Hill. So one day I was in the Longworth building and I saw a little ad. At that time, there were a lot of bulletin boards. I was looking for roommates and I found in the little ad something different, which was a shelter for battered women were looking for volunteers. So I went to make a call. Went, I went there and saw it and found it fascinating of the services that we're providing. So I decided to give my time there. So during my time in the shelter, I would work like twice a week. I would do it on the weekends, sometimes once, once in the night time after work. I realized that many of the women who were victims of violence, they were staying in the shelter and then they were going back to the abuser. And that caught my attention. And it was like, well, what are they doing now? So years after I was there and that, you know, working in the shelter, I started going to my education, getting my master's degree, and I was doing a project. And in my project, uh, I decided to create this survey for the victims and find out about why they were going back to the abuser. And everybody's answer was, well, I do not have a job. I cannot take care of myself, my children. I do not have the education. I depend financially on my husband. So that is the only forever. And uh, it took me about 10 years since that experience of working in the shelter and being a volunteer. So I started this uh, organization called Second Chance Employment Services, which um, started in 2001. And I worked there for about 12 years. So the model exists in a sense of it's been put on a book. And the book is called Ending Domestic Violence Captivity, A Guide to Economic Freedom. And in the book, we show, we show, we share this model to entrepreneurs, social entrepreneurs who they may be interested in creating the second chances because it's not only helping the victims, but it's an organization. You make money. I was paid. I mean, I was an employee of that organization. So it's a wonderful way to self-fulfill yourself if you want to do that type of work on human rights, you know, serving victims of violence. Or, you know, I mean, you can do it in the philanthropy side. So whatever it is your desire. Mm-hmm. Oh, that's so amazing. that's the story. Yeah. I love that. Thank you. So you can tell us a little bit about the progression from when you started volunteer to kind of when you opened your own thing. You said it took you about 10 years. And did you get your doctorate between that? Am I reading that correctly too? Yes, I did. I did. Uh Uh-huh. Yes. So I did my doctorate and well, it took me my undergrad, my doctorate, my doctorate, my undergrad 
was in international finance. So I never even thought in my life I was going to end up doing the work I'm doing. That was not where I was going. So I was working with the uh, World Bank and the International Monetary Fund. So my goal was something else. I wanted to go to Wall Street one day, but it didn't happen. Then I went into the field of human resources. I got my master's human resource management, and then I got a doctorate in industrial organization psychology. And that took the lead to then use that practices and services as well with creating my victims. So those two degrees helped me in the creation of the second chance employment. That's amazing. So it sounds like to me you help entrepreneurs find employees who really need work. They're victims of abuse. No, it was, it wasn't, it's, it's not exactly like that. So basically the organization, the way the model was put together was, um, so victims would come, refer to us from welfare to work programs, Department of Social Services, faith-based organizations, other nonprofits, and of course the shelters. So they will come to second chances. And we had a partnership already, pre-made partnership with employers, over 400 employers nationwide, companies like Blue Island and Hamilton, Capital One, we work with uh, IBM. So I'm mentioning the largest one, so you may know it's all over the country. So they will give first priority employment placement services to our clients. Mm-hmm. So that's oh, how it was. Awesome. Yes. It's really cool. Mm-hmm. So are you still working full-time in that business or are you traveling more and doing no, speaking? No, no, no. After, no, I left that business about eight years ago and I've been serving, I serve four different administrations. So I have been working in the area of public policy. I did a lot of that work. Currently right now I'm working on my second book and also dedicating my time to speaking and sharing the model to other places because people are very interested. And it seems like after the pandemic and all the things that people were going through, you know, domestic violence has spiked a lot. So people needed me to be present and sharing my model and sharing my expertise on fighting violence against women. So this has been my full time right now. I love that. So how do you handle the difficult days? Because I'm sure it is so hard hearing all these women's stories and having, you know, lots of uh, emotions, I'm sure. Bree, it's very difficult. It's, It's very stressful. And I even remember when I was full time, with the organization, it was every day you hear it, the stories and they're heartbreaking stories. And you cannot say, I can't get engaged. You cannot break free from that because it's a story of another woman. It's a story of our own lives, you know, and the future of their children. And so to me, uh, I have to, of course, use techniques that I use. I'm a runner. So that's a fact. I have to do my run and I do after that my cold showers that keep me strong. <laughs> my cold showers. And then also I, I love dancing. So I do Broadway jazz. It's like, my thing, but I keep it with also with uh, strengthening. You know, I do uh, different weights and I work with bar three, which is one of the things that I love. So keep myself very active. I have to exercise on a regular basis and bring happiness to my life. So I love music, you know, um, everything that has to do with outdoors activities and things like that. Because Same. if not, you, it's impossible to handle. To hear every day is some catastrophe. I mean, right now, basically a few minutes before we talk, somebody already reached out to me and someone in my community, which is a beautiful community. And it's unfortunately what's going on, what happened last night to this person. I'm basically heartbroken. And, um, and I just have a couple of people also living in some houses of different people, people who have rescue because we use this podcast as a resource. It's a virtual resource. So people sometimes connect with us and ask us, you know, we have this problem, we need help. So how do we handle? And so we do referrals. Mm -hmm. So it's pretty tough. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. I can imagine. I was like, oh, you have to have so much empathy, which I feel like takes so much of your energy away. Um, I love that you said you run and do cold showers. I've uh, just started yeah. doing cold, oh, the cold showers. Is like greatest thing. From the right. top of your head down is like the cold showers. I mean, like basically change your state of mind. It shifts. Yeah, they do. Yeah, they get you so much dopamine too. I've been reading a lot of research on it and I was like, oh, it's amazing. So, yeah. like, so many things. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, so what tips do you have for women in abusive situations or tips for women who suspect a friend or a relative is being in an abusive situation? Basically, a woman who's going through one of the most important things, have someone you trust. You have to have a friend, be involved in a faith-based community, something that links you to someone else. You can't be by yourself. Isolation is not, it's not a choice. You shouldn't be doing that. And I feel that the first thing is share. And identify what sources can you use to just in case prepare yourself for a possible escape if you need to escape because we don't know how much the, the relationship will escalate, the abuse will escalate. We never know. For someone who has a friend as well, the person who has a friend should be educated a little bit or learn about what are the, you know, what are ways to help a person who is under an abusive situation. The first thing I will say, reach out to your friend or it can be your, your sister or it can be a neighbor. And extend, you know, an invitation for a coffee or to a talk. Yes, talk, walk. You can even take a walk and let them talk. Let them share. But first thing is never, I mean, the person will know that it has to, there are 911 number and there are things like that, but you can never impose what you believe into this person. So listening is key. And this, the person is going to be the one to making the decision to leave or to stay. Unfortunately, that is really how it is in every relationship, you cannot force it, even if you're a parent, but you need to listen. They need someone to really bounce back the ideas and listen to them. And and basically from there, they may ask Lisa, you know what, please, I need your help. And then you take action. How do you take action? Learn about what do you have in your community? What are the, what are the shelters? What are the places? Always, if you are a woman under abuse, have some money on the side somehow in some account that you can keep just for you is your safety net. You can't be without that. And we need to start educating our girls and our, you know, daughters, all of them, all of us know that the importance of the economic empowerment, having your own money and your way to take care of ourselves. Mm -hmm. For sure. It's so important. Mm -hmm. So what about Mm -hmm. women with children? Because I know I feel like that's probably the most common thing would be, you know, my children are there and that's a hard thing to go back and forth. Is that like a, would you give them any separate advice? Well, you know, sometimes it is very difficult because uh, according to the laws in the different states, if you take your child, unless you have proof of abuse, but if it's mental abuse and you're really getting destroyed to the point you can try to suicide. There are cases like that. People try to suicide because they can't cope with it, can't live any longer. So you take your child, you've been accused, as you can be prosecuted because you're taking the child out of the house and you don't have any proof. But if you're a person that has been you know, abused and you have marks, you take your picture, you have the proof. So you can take it out to the authorities and then you can move your child because your child is at risk. That's different. With the authorities and everybody helping you have the proofs, then you're, you're fine with that. But it's a different, it's a very different situation. It's very complicated and a state by state has its own laws, unfortunately. Right now, that's where we are. And that's what I continue fighting on violence against women, continue testifying in Congress if they need me or whatever they need me. I'll be there present on their behalf. 
That's awesome. So I love that you are helping create more laws for women too. Is that correct? Well, whatever they ask me, if somebody wants to ask me to be part of that, I mean, I, I can contribute in anything, but I am okay for whoever is a woman who's a victim of violence. Yes. And I will continue doing that. Mm -hmm. I love that. So can we talk a little bit about your book? You said you have one book already and you're in the middle of writing your second one. So tell us a little bit about how that process is uh, going for you. Well, the the process is that you basically, I'm putting together this second book. And the second book will be uh, not only the stories of the victims that I have seen and I have rescued during my time in the government. So I'm going to share some of the stories of the government, how government operates, how's the, how is uh, basically the policy making there and how do we work to make this happen? And the different stories about victims and people who right now as advisors, even victims will have, for example, I did uh, some work as uh, on counter trafficking in persons at one of the government agencies. And I was heading that place. And we had some individuals who they were serve as advisors, even though they were victims before, so we can get their stories and what their needs are. And from there, policy are being created better than just use policymakers to do it. So that's the type of uh, contribution we have been have been given. Mm-hmm. That's awesome. So you talk about so I think I for when I was reading this and I was like oh just domestic violence but you're talking about victims of like um, human trafficking, trafficking and stuff well. like that too. So basically, it's interesting about the story about counter trafficking in persons. Uh, I was working with domestic violence victims alone. That was it. That's why my startup on my organization. Five years later, a partner came forward you know, with sponsorship, money and all that. And it was Manpower, the largest employment agency in the world. So the president of the organization approached us and he said, well, we would like to be your partner. We'll give you office spaces in any place in the United States or in the world. And we have the MOU with them, you know, memorandum of understanding. But he said, one of the requirements is that you start serving human trafficking victims. So in 2005, I received my first human trafficking victim client that came to us from the sisters was a charity, Sisters of Charity in D.C. That was the first client that we had, and we walked her through the whole process. Of course, that's a totally different game. For example, the client that came to us did not have even a proof of name. She was pregnant by the um, trafficker. She she was run away, was rescued by these Sisters of Charity in the District of Columbia and came to us. And from that, we had to reinvent and recreate her whole life. It was a process of about close to two years. A successful wow. process, but it took about two years to put it all together. Mm-hmm. So that since then, you know, of course, I gained the knowledge through the through the years of working with that, and through that, I start traveling in different um, positions. For example, I did once I was like a cultural ambassador of the United States on Syria and Jordan, so I was able to travel to those countries and bring best practices in the United States to share with them uh, in those different countries on the fight of counter-trafficking in persons. And from there, I did, uh, like I said, this work on um, counter-trafficking in person for one of the U.S. agencies. And then after that, it's still, I, I speak about both, both subjects, both, because if you think about it, in the area of human rights, there's under human rights. Violence against women. Violence against women is counter-trafficking in person because they're violent women. You know, they're being violent with women. So everything is under the same umbrella. So uh, I talk about the two subjects. So whenever it's the month of human trafficking month, I'm also a speaker on that. Domestic violence month, I speak about that too. 
That's really cool. So what are some things to look out for? Because I feel like I keep seeing all the time that women keep getting, you know, uh, human trafficked. Is there any way for any tips you have for women to keep themselves more safe? Well, one one of the things is, you know, you got to be careful who you go out with. Know who you're with. Never, like, engage yourself with a website and invitations for jobs and invitations for different things that may be so appealing. Being a model, you know, some things that feels like amazing, being an actress, maybe your passion, and you try to be engaged on that. You can't. You really need to make sure who you're engaging with. Even if you have meetings with people, find out before you even meet with a person, who are they, who who do they know and how the contacts are. You cannot be trusting. Not right now in this in these times. I think I'll be very careful who I'm, who I'm with, who do I trust, and how do I, I, I guide my life and whatever I want to accomplish. I never even thought about jobs, but you're right. There's so many. I know there's so many. Um, my mm-hmm. husband are in real estate. I know there's so many scams for real estate out there now for like mm-hmm. the same things. People are like, you know, trying to get them to come to your their house and their house isn't for sale or somebody right. still lives there. Exactly. Like, oh, I, you never know. You cannot trust, especially jobs right now. There's so much scarcity on jobs. So people are desperate and it appears on the internet, you know, websites, these jobs, hi, come interview. Where do they meet you? Where are they going to meet you? You need to find out if they're really real. Like you said, it, so many scams and we have to be careful and people need to be aware that we're not living in safe times right now. Hmm? For sure. Right. Especially, yeah, I know every time we like uh, go downtown stuff, I'm like, oh, got to make sure, you know, I'm meeting people and I know where my car is at all times. Where your car is, so- where you're going. Mm-hmm. Exactly. Be, be careful where you park. Always look. Be on the look. Right. It's a scary thing, anymore. but you have to be. Right. Mm-hmm. You have to be safe. You have to be like that. Mm-hmm. So when does your new book come out? Well, that will take some time. <laughs> it's not <laughs> that easy because, you know, there are many chapters. So I'm right now, I will say like, um, say the quarter of, uh, I will say um, another eight months. Eight months? Nice. Eight months, I will say, yeah. It will take time because also I have to put the time on the writing. And then it has to go to the editor and the publishing and all that. So it's not going to be that easy. But for <laughs> the ones that they are interested in my other book, which is very relevant and it has a model, is called Ending Domestic Violence Captivity, A Guide to Economic Freedom. So it was published by Volcano Press in 2014. And then they can find it, you know, in Amazon. It's, it's always there. So for people who are interested, I think that will be good. And then whoever wants to see, to listen to our podcast, our podcast, we have amazing um, people who we invite to interview, as well as great uh, recommendations advice from experts in the different fields, also from people who want to re-enter the workforce, maybe in fields of the arts, maybe in economics, maybe in psychology. We have experts who have come and share their best stories, practices they want to help as well. And then how can people connect with you? Oh, yes, please. Uh, they can go to ludigreen.com. They can go to my Twitter at Dr. Ludy Green. And also they can go to Spotify and see, you know, listen to our podcast, Ending Domestic Abuse. We're there and there's any person who's dealing with abuse, they know that they can go through our website and from that link to us and let us know how can we help them. I mean, because we we try to serve as a virtual resource in any way we can, no matter where they are, we're here for them. That's awesome. Is there like a, so you're like more of like a global resource too, because I know you said you help in other countries too then. No, it's more like a, it's a national resource because, you know, we can't, but I go, like I speak, like when people hire me to go and present to different countries, I can go and, and share, you know, my model, 
share best practices of the United States on fighting violence against women. But uh, here through the podcast, it's a national podcast, and uh, we've been serving now for three years since the pandemic. Mm-hmm. Well, that's awesome. I'll make sure I put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much oh, for going on today. You, this was wonderful, Brie. Thank you so much, Anisa. Thank you for listening to the Women in Power podcast. Please hit the subscribe and like button to see more episodes. New episodes air every Wednesday morning. So please join our Facebook group, Women in Power, for the latest updates and news about our podcast.